This is the Front Page Podcast from the Red and Black. I'm Midori Jenkins. In this episode, we will discuss unsolved homicides. First, Assistant Podcast Editor Jim Bass interviews Cameron Jay, creator of the Classic City Crime Podcast. Secondly, Jim reflects on the interview and discusses the alarming unsolved homicide rate with Podcast Editor Midori Jenkins. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, this week, we'll be discussing Athens cold cases, and there is no better person to talk about Athens cold cases than Classic City Crime podcast uh, creator, host, producer, and writer, Cameron J. Uh, welcome to the show, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. Of course. And first off, I want to ask, how long have you been doing Classic City Crime? Yeah, so Classic City Crime is a little over two years old. Um, I started it at the start of the pandemic, not knowing where things were going to go there. What a good project, though, to pick up while stuck at home for two years. Um, So, yeah, I've been at it for quite a while now. Absolutely. And uh, what inspired you to make a podcast about Athens crime and specifically cold cases here? Yes. So um, I would say that like my idol Tamron Hall says, um, crime is personal for me. Um, My mother's first cousin, so my second cousin, was murdered in 1996 in South Georgia. Um, And I remember the effect, even though I was very, very young at that time. I do remember the lasting effect that that had on my mother, my family, etc., whether it be the death date anniversary or birthdays. All of those important dates are really difficult. Um, So that's one piece of it. In 2008, my best friend was killed by a distracted driver, um, which is also a crime in the state of Georgia. Um, It took a long time to get it there, but it is. Um, And so that made it a little bit more personal for me, too. Um, So then I came here to Athens, and one thing that I got really involved with was politics and government. um, And I really learned a lot about uh, how many cold cases, and I won't call them cold cases. I'm going to call them unsolved homicides. We have in Athens, Clark County, and that number is around 40, dating back to 1969. Absolutely. Um, and what are those positions you have like in the politics and government? I know you have a lot of, you wear a lot of hats, as you say. <laughs> yes, I jokingly tell people I wear many hats, or some people say I'm like an onion with many layers. I promise it's not because I don't shower enough. <laughs> um, but... Um, I am involved in many things in Athens. I am the current president of Athens Pride and Queer Collective, which is a 501c3 organization here in town devoted to the um, advancement of equity, affirmation, and celebration of queer identities in the greater Athens area. Um, I have served as the campaign manager for three of ten current county commissioners, um, advisors or fundraisers to two additional, so half of the current commission I have worked for in some capacity. I was the campaign manager of District Attorney Deborah Gonzalez, the first woman DA in our circuit, the first uh, Latina DA in the state of Georgia, and the first Puerto Rican DA in the country. Um, And working for her campaign gave me even more insight into uh, the problems that exist in our criminal legal system, specifically as it relates to cases that are often left behind and forgotten. Um, So those are just a few of the things. I also serve on the Athens Human Relations Commission, uh, which is tasked with by the mayor and commission uh, in looking at ways to make policy recommendations to our local government as it relates to discrimination. So a lot of things going on. And of course, classic city crime, too. Knowing how 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 uh, much you put into the Classic City Crime podcast, it's crazy that you're able to balance all these things. Um, how, it's not how, easy. Yeah, I was about to say, how do you manage it? 
You know, I've always said that my brain is a busy brain. I always do best when I'm on the go and doing. Um, and I specifically feel great reward when I'm doing work that I feel uplifts other people. Um, and that was one thing that really drew me to working um, on Classic City Crime. I actually, in addition to all those hats, left the University of Georgia after two years after I came to Athens to work in a local funeral home, uh, a funeral home that serviced most of the surrounding counties, about 1,200 cases a year. Uh, in that capacity, I learned the power of storytelling, especially after someone is no longer with us. Uh, I learned the power of empathy, the power of understanding, and the power of getting to know families on a personal level. Um, so all of that really morphed together to help inspire what I do now. Absolutely. And uh, I know, I think your first case was the Tara Baker case, correct? Correct. Um, and I know that's the one you, the one you first jumped into. Um, tell me a little bit about that and what made you want to jump into the Terry Baker case. Yes. So one quote that I always love that our mayor, Kelly Gertz, says all the time is that life is better when we can look at others and see a vision of ourselves in them. Um, that's what I saw in Tara Baker was a lot of similarities between the life she led prior to her homicide and the life that I lead and many other people in this community lead, which are lives of service, uh, lives of championing the underdog, lives uh, that are devoted to justice and the law. Um, so I first read about Tara's case when I just came to UGA. I had always had interest in this topic because of those personal reasons I told you about. So I just decided one night to look into cases in Athens. And at that time, around 2014, that's how long ago this was, I read about Tara Baker's homicide. In fact, probably in one of your articles here at the Red and Black that had done a expose on her unsolved homicide. So um, I decided that I was going to reach out to her family and see what they thought about going on this journey with me. And the journey was not initially one to solve the case. The journey was one to tell her story with the hopes that someone somewhere with the truth would come forward and, and make their case and their information known, not just to me, but to the police. Um, and so that journey began, like I said, around two plus years ago. Um, her family came on board and we did every single episode, 25 to be exact, uh, with them together. There's a lot. There's a lot of episodes. Yes. Um, how long are each episode? Uh, they sure? range from 30 minutes to 50 minutes. I tried to always keep them around 30 because my grandmother always told me growing up, if a preacher talks for more than 30 minutes, he's lost half of his congregation. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of something that I put to to use in the podcast too. It was weekly episodes. We thought we would have a few hundred people listen. Turned into thousands of people listened. We just surpassed 1.1 million listens since the podcast was started. Um, and I don't think that's because of me. I think that is because of the gravity of the topic that we're dealing with. I think it's because of the public's interest in seeing cases that have been forgotten brought back to the forefront. And I also think it is a reflection of families who understand that keeping their loved one's story alive is often found in making sure that they're not forgotten by other people. Absolutely. Um and I know you mentioned that you go to like talk to the families beforehand, like and work with them through the case. Um, that brings me into like you know what your research process and what your process before these uh, you investigate these cases goes in, like what what goes into it. Yes. So one thing I want to make a really big distinction on here is a cold case versus an unsolved homicide that is still active. Cold would mean there's no follow up agent, there's no probative leads, there's nothing coming in about it whereas an unsolved active homicide 
may be 20 or 30 years old, but there still is some reason that the police department is not deeming it as a cold case. What that means for people like me, for people like you all, and for reporters in general, which I am not, by the way. I'm a storyteller, not a journalist. Um, and I fully admit that throughout the work that I've done. So when you're looking into these cases, the first thing you would think is, let me look at the case file. Let me look at the facts of the case. Well, that's not something that can be done, right? Because even these cases, I've said 40 since 1969, even the case from 1969 is still, quote, active, according to the athens Clark County Police Department, which means that someone like me, you, or your listeners that are tuned in right now cannot go and ask to see the case file. The only thing you're entitled to or we are entitled to is the initial responding police incident report. So when you're doing a podcast on a case that remains active yet unsolved, you have absolutely nothing tangible but that incident report, which doesn't tell you very much, right? In Tara's case, it's an officer saying, I came to the scene of the crime. There was smoke. I couldn't see. We dispatched the fire department. Case was turned over to the homicide division. That's it. So then what we really have to do is rely on the testimony and the stories of others to really rebuild a case file. And that's what I tell people I did all the time was we rebuilt everything. And I'm a criminology student now. One thing that we learn all the time is victimology is one of the most important things, understanding who the victim was. So my journey with every case I've covered, whether it be solved or unsolved, has been who was the victim. In this case, who was Tara Louise Baker? She was a bold, bright, and beautiful University of Georgia School of Law student um, who was the champion of the underdog and loved her family and friends. And we literally went through every aspect of who Tara was as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, as a coworker, as a student. That's a lot of episodes. In fact, people started saying, are you ever going to get to what happened? And what I told people very frankly was, if you could not take the time to get to know the victim on that deep of a level, then my podcast was not for you, because that was very, very important to me. Um, and from there, as you're telling about someone's life, that, in my opinion, is what compels people to come forward and tell their truths. Absolutely. Um, I think it's phenomenal how, how personal you can make it and how, how you were able to tell their story. Well, if you think about it, I think one thing to remember is if a case has gone unsolved for so long, it is very rare that there's not some sort of rift or disappointment between a family and the law enforcement agencies tasked with solving it. It's unfortunate, but sometimes that's just how it is. So for someone like me or you or anyone else to come back in and say, we want to go through this with you. We want to listen to you. We want to give you a platform to air your truth, not only about your daughter, but about the investigation and what that investigation has looked like now for Tara's case for the past 22 years. There's something very freeing about that for these families, because I think it reminds them that even though police aren't able to devote time, resources, and attention to 40 unsolved cases that date back so far, there are people that still remember. And the power of telling these stories is that when people start getting engaged, when they start feeling connected to the family, when they start getting outraged, right, about perhaps missteps in the investigation or perhaps, uh, you know, things that weren't known 22 years ago, you really see this powerful thing start to happen. You see that law enforcement starts taking a second look. 
you see that they start interviewing people that might not have ever spoken to them but feel comfortable speaking to a apprentice funeral director like me, right? Uh, many people aren't comfortable talking to police. So there's just a lot of powerful things that I believe a podcast can be, not that it always is in this genre. I can, Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you probably focus more on the victim than most podcasts out there, which I think I think it's very, very important to do. Well, it's the right thing to do. And uh, how how uh, how much time do you spend on these podcasts? Because I know, I think I, t- I interviewed you a few months ago um, for a different story. And I remember you mentioned you go several months with these, with these stories, talking to all kinds of people um, around the case, uh, re- revolving around. Mm-hmm. So, Yes. So with Tara's case specifically, I was working a full-time corporate job traveling to Chicago several times a month. What I found was that I was spending more time taking calls from Tara's family, from her friends, and from random sources that decided to call in and speak their truth, not that it is the truth, right? That's a big distinction that we have to make here, is people are telling their version of their truth. Um... I found that I was taking their call so much, I was failing miserably at doing my job. And so I made the personal decision to quit that job, um, leaving behind a good amount of pay and some great benefits uh, to focus all of my attention on Tara Baker's homicide. Um, That came at great personal costs. I mean, I um, shared a lot of grief with her family. We got so, so close. I'm still close to them. We talk every week all the time, sometimes about Tara, sometimes about the podcast, sometimes just about life and what's going on in each of our lives. Um, So I would say it was countless, countless hours, especially on that case that I spent. And, you know, very little of that is writing and producing. Much of it is interviewing people, building relationships, getting people to trust you. I cannot tell you the amount of people that spoke on my podcast specifically about Tara, who told me no in the beginning. And I didn't press them to do it. I instead continuously shared with them my vision. I continuously showed them my vision through the work I was currently doing in that moment, and that brought people around. So countless, countless hours, but the the hours that people don't see are the time that is spent building relationships to a point where people feel comfortable talking to not only me, but to all the thousands of people who listen. Um, and so that part of it's really, really important. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's phenomenal that you're able to, to build that relationship with, uh, with all of these people and make such a powerful story each time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, out, out, outside of T- Tara Baker's case, um, once you, once you um, had uh, published that already, um, you went and continued to do more. Um, how many have you have you done so far, and are you in the, are you currently in the making of making others? <laughs> yes. Um, one thing I do want to say too about Tara's case, and if you want to like go back and put this with what okay. I was talking about, um, is it was done in real time. Everything that we did because of her case being unsolved, there were so many leads that would come in week to week that I would spend six days interviewing, researching, fact checking, um, and then recording two to three hours before the release time. That's how real time it was. And not saying I would do it that way again. You live, you learn, and you grow, right? But that was what was really unique about her case is thousands of people felt they were with me in this moment of going back in time and re-looking, 
taking a second look rather at all of these different things. So yes, um, 26 episodes on Tara Baker's case. And like I told you in our written interview, it's really, really, especially if you get close to the families um, and care about this victim so deeply, it's it's hard to go on to another one of those 40 unsolved cases. It's not because I don't want to, uh, but I'll have to take into effect my or to account my own mental capacity, right? Um, but also the capacity of my listeners, which I think is also really important to do. And so once we got through 25 episodes of Tara Baker's homicide and there's still no resolution, not that we don't have a general consensus or idea of who, maybe, what happened, um, there's still that lack of resolution. And I feel that's something everyone wants in every story that they read, right? Whether it's true crime or fiction or, you know, looking back at a moment in our history everyone's looking for that final puzzle piece. Everyone wants at the end of the day, even if they have to spend a lot of time putting the puzzle together, they want to see the final picture, right? We didn't get that. Not saying I don't believe it will come one day, I do, but we just didn't get that. And so I decided that the best thing for me, for my listeners, and for these 40 unsolved families uh, cases were to look back at some cases that were solved. I also thought this was a great way to show the public that contrary to popular belief about my podcast, that I'm not critical of police in every case. I look at everything through a lens that is relative to the case at hand. It's not a blanket statement, right? So do I think there were issues in Tara Baker's investigation? Absolutely. The police department will tell you that modern day, and that's okay. That acknowledgement is a part of the healing process, and I believe a part of the solving the case process. Um, but I decided if we look back at cases that are solved, there are several things we can do. We can highlight cases where law enforcement did a great job, where the district attorney was able to prosecute, but also within those cases that are solved, there's resolution. And when there is resolution, I think there's the ability for all of us to learn a lesson from those cases. And so that's why I went into talking about the 1977 murder of T.K. Hardy the Athens murders of 1987, both solved. Uh, the Jonathan Foundling case is a case of an infant found in the Oglethorpe House dormitory here at UGA. I covered that in two cases. Now, that's a very different case because there is no family to interview, so there wasn't this ability to really go beyond the facts of the case. Um, I talked about the case of Elijah Wood, who was murdered at the racetrack in Oconee County. Um, typically, I would not cover a case that is current, but I was actually partnered with by not only the family of Elijah Wood, but by the Oconee County Sheriff's Office to help disseminate information, to reach our listeners with the desperate need to find this killer. And they did. But, you know, the point being, now thousands of people know about his life and are invested in making sure that the person who's now been arrested is held responsible in a court of law. Um, so I would say it's about five or six cases that I've covered, only one unsolved case but I'm currently working on one right now, having built a relationship with the family for the last several months. And we're looking, uh, most interviews have been recorded and I will be retreating to the mountains, which is what I often do uh, to write. Um, and we won't be doing it in real time. Everything will be pre-recorded, but leads that come in will follow. And when can your audience expect that announcement to come out? I would expect it to be around Halloween or the first couple of weeks of November. I don't ever give a solid date anymore okay. um, because everything can change, right? One detail, one person calling, 
um, one angle that I had not thought of before could change the whole trajectory of uh, the way in which we approach the story. And when I say we, I mean us as a community, people listening and involved. Um, and a few more things. Uh, I know you pick up all these cases and you, you take all this time and do the research. You invest yourself um, mentally, physically, your time. Um, does it ever like do you ever feel like it takes a toll and like emotionally and do you feel like it's worth it in the end? It absolutely takes a toll, but I would absolutely do it all all over again and won't stop, you know. Um, I firmly believe in the power of therapy, in the power of mental health, um, and addressing that when there are concerns and I'm open and honest about my own struggles, you know, with depression and anxiety um, and those things are only compounded when you're talking about an unsolved case a killer is unknown you're exposing a lot could there be this desire by someone to silence the work that we're doing like all of those things are consistently and constantly going through my mind and the minds of the people who love me and these families as well um, but it's totally worth it because at the end of the day I believe that if we tell victims stories and if we tell those stories through the voices of those who loved them and knew them best we not only compel those with information to come forward all these years later we not only remind families that their loved one is not forgotten but we also reinvigorate police departments and law enforcement agencies across the country to take a second look and to devote resources to cases that have been forgotten and all of that to me is why this work is so important. Thanks again for being on the show, Cameron. Um, one last question. Where can where can our listeners go to find more about these unsolved cases or just cases in general that you've covered? And also, where can they find you on social media? Yes, and I encourage everyone to visit ClassicCityCrime.com uh, to learn more about all of these cases I've talked about here. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Classic City Crime, and we're on all major uh, podcast platforms. A few of the solved cases are um, under uh, Anchor subscription, only 99 cents a month, but um, all of the Tara Baker case files are completely open to the public that I built. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Cameron. Thank you. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me, Dory. Of course. Uh, we just listened to the podcast uh, interview uh, with Cameron, um, and you had some notes you wanted to ask about, um, and I thought we could discuss um, discuss them. Yeah, um, I thought the interview was extremely insightful, and I learned a lot um, through the interview about unsolved homicides themselves, but I also did some of my own research, so I thought this would be a great discussion for the episode. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was how your perspective on unsolved homicides has shifted from conducting this interview and your personal research. Absolutely. I So going in, um, I had spoken to Cameron before um, in an in a article I wrote uh, for the Ampersand here at the Red and Black, um, but didn't go fully in depth with him about the podcast, about his whole entire process. And my perspective really has shifted um, on the approach he takes after like hearing about the several months of building those relationships and building that trust with the families and the amount of care and effort he puts into these podcasts. It really has shifted my like a, like perspective on uh, how he goes about this. And um, after personal research myself as well, it's just... It's very impressive what he does, and I, um, I definitely 
I think that the profession, you know, as a podcaster is um, a lot more, I, I appreciate it a lot more um, than I, I, I did before. So not that I didn't before, but I just appreciate it even more. I think I didn't really consider how much care and thought goes into creating a podcast series of this caliber. And I've gained a lot of insight, not only on his process, but also just on working with the families as well and how much um, thought it really takes into building something like classic city crime. And one thing I actually did learn um, just fact wise was the difference between unsolved homicides and cold cases. Um, I didn't realize that there was a difference. And so I think that's something that's really important because there are a lot of misconceptions about um, unsolved homicides themselves. And that's actually another thing that I thought would be really interesting to discuss were what are your thoughts on the dramatization of solving homicides in the media? Yes. And I think um, I also did not know there was a difference um, before going into the view. And um, that was really interesting to learn. And I think the the dramatization and like you know glamorization of these of these of like solving these homicides you see it all the time on like television shows and in the media. I mean, there's like there'll be like seasons and seasons about you know solving murder. You know, there's there's all these shows like Criminal Minds, NCIS, and there's also like the real shows that talk about real murders, but kind of do it in an entertainment way. And I, you can kind of tell that they don't take as much time as say someone like Cameron, who spends like several months with the family discussing it. Um, it kind of, you know, they talk about the real murders in these shows and they talk about all this stuff, but it kind of does feel like they're using it as kind of a little bit of morbid entertainment where Cameron really feels a lot more personal about it and feels like, it feels like he really cares and he's doing it for, for a good reason, um, which is something I noticed. And it is very interesting to think about the dramatizations, all this stuff, because I mean, some of these shows are the most popular shows out there. I mean... I mean, my grandma specifically, I mean, I, every, time, every time I come home, she's always watching the channel that, you know, just goes over unsolved murders. I don't know what it's called, but um, that's just a very, it's very popular. Um, and I think um, the, that, yeah, that dramatization of it is kind of, it's kind of messed up. If you think about, you know, the families who are actually a part of this, who might want it to be handled a little more carefully, like the way Cameron approaches it. I, I agree. There is a really high entertainment value for homicide or murder-related series um, on television, radio. There's also a lot of podcast series that don't take a lot of care to get to know the families themselves. And I was actually interested to learn that nearly half of murder cases go unsolved or turn into unsolved homicides, which is something that is extremely shocking. And I think a lot of people don't know the statistics behind um, unsolved homicides. And so this is an extremely relevant and ongoing um, topic that people should really be aware of. And one thing that I also learned from the interview were the risks and concerns with investigating unsolved homicides. This is something that I didn't really think about, but there are a lot of personal risks. And I think you have to be aware of how invested you can become in a project like this. Um, so had you thought about what the risks might be, and um, how was that discussion with Cameron? I had not thought about those risks before, at least the ones he had brought up. I mean, he was bringing up, like, you know, he he wants to, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about mental toll, you know, the, the amount of time he spends on a case. I can imagine I actually asked that question because during when he was, inter when I was doing the interview, he was 
um, bringing up how how invested he is in that case, just a you know a unsolved uh, unsolved case that you know I feel like would put a lot of like you know a lot of stress and like a lot of tension on on me mentally um, if I was doing it. So I wanted to ask about that. Um, so I think the risks of in uh, of course mentally as well as the risks of people wanting to silence you if you're uh, you know what you're saying and uh, you know I think he mentioned that the police um, the police he was getting a lot of critical uh, opinions about you know um, people he, people think he's like oh I don't, I don't like the police no he he just wants to tell the full story and I think um, the concerns behind that and what you say is very interesting to hear about and um, you know it's something you might not think about at first right and um Cameron talks in the interview also about how he considers himself a storyteller as opposed to a journalist. But I think there are a lot of parallels in what you just spoke about between journalists and the public. A lot of people do have a lot of backlash or dislike for journalists. And I think although Cameron does not consider himself a journalist, he did give a lot of uh, insight into some of the realities that journalists face and also some tips just about exploring unsolved homicides. So as my last question, I'm curious what kind of, or I'm curious about what tips you'll take away from this interview experience. Yeah, I honestly took back a lot because I know he does say he's a he's a storyteller and not a journalist, which, you know, obviously I think that is the case just based on how involved he is about these cases. But um, as a journalist, I, I really took I'm taking back those tips of how dedicated he is to, um, you know, getting the truth behind these cases, because I feel like that's part of what a journalist does. And I know he is a storyteller, but um, I know like in the future, I'm going to like look at, you know, his work and I feel inspired because he's just takes so much. He has so much dedication towards these cases. And I think it's very, very um, impressive uh, how he does it. And I think you know, as a journalist um, in in the making right now, um, it's really interesting to, like, hear about it and hear um, just ways to, like, contact people and stuff. Because, you know, I'm learning about this stuff in my classes right now, in my journalism classes, you know, how to, you know, make calls and how to make these connections and, you know, um, how to get the information from people. And I know he does it in a lot more of a personal way than some um, journalists do, but um, I'm definitely applying some of the lessons I learned from here to journalism. This has been the Front Page Podcast. Make sure to download our app and keep up with us on social media. And to find more of our podcast episodes, visit redandblack.com or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, we'll see y'all later.